This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to continue our study in chapter 2. So let's look at the scripture tonight in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Or chapter 2, and I want to look, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3 for you because we're going to pick up in verse number 3. It's been a couple of Wednesday nights since we've been here, and so I want to refresh our hearts and our minds uh, with where we left off. So let's look at verse number 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings. That, that sounds like a mob that doesn't know the Lord. But Peter is giving us the admonishment to the church. And he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. That's been a classic verse uh, in, in my life, uh, this thing about growing in grace. And I want you to look at this, verse number three. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When you look at verse number three, if so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The truth of the matter is all of these converts that Peter was writing to, and certainly you and I, we all know that the Lord is good. We all know that just like thousands upon thousands of people today that can stand and give a testimony about the goodness of God. When we have occasional testimonial services, especially in our uh, communion hour and people stand and testify, I'm reminded of our most recent one and at the Thanksgiving time. I don't think there was one person that did not stand who actually gave a testimony that night that did not testify of the Lord's goodness and the Lord's graciousness. And I think what, what real sincere child of God could not testify of that because truly he is good and gracious. And the more that we know about him, the more of his goodness that we will experience. There's a passage of scripture that says in Psalms 34, verse number 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. One of the things that uh, I discovered a long time ago in the ministry is that many Christians who have really sincerely tasted the goodness of the Lord for whatever season or whatever time, whatever purpose uh, that they found themselves in, uh, it's hard. It's hard to grasp, and I would I would phrase it like this. You know, we don't walk in other people's shoes, and we don't judge anybody. The closer you are to the Lord, and you see people walk further away from Him, we scratch our head and we say, "How can that be? You've tasted of the Lord's goodness. You've tasted that the Lord is good. How can you not be a servant of the Lord? How can you not be?" That old song says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. How can you not be near the cross? But that's a sad commentary for today because many people who have tasted 
the Lord's goodness. For whatever reasons they can find in their own heart, they have decided to walk away from him. That's, that's sad. It happens. And I see it all the time. Look at verse number four, if you will. The scripture says, to whom coming as unto a living stone. This, this was a great study for me when I started working this uh, a while back. There's a lot to see in this particular passage, verse number four and five. And uh, it was just a refreshment to me to, to get into this part of the study. To whom as unto a living stone. You might want to underline this word stone because there's much to see here. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And so I want you to think about this because Peter continues on, uh, but changes his illustration in the point that he wants to get across. He references the Lord as a stone. And I want you to look at this. I'm sure when Peter's writing this, and I've talked about this, especially in chapter one, in fact, in verse number one, when we led into the introduction of this study, how I'm sure that when Peter is writing, moved by the Holy Spirit, there's no doubt in my mind that his mind goes back to memorable circumstances where the Lord was working uh, in intimate ways in his life. And in this particular case, when Peter uses this, this phrase, again, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's using this phrase, unto a living stone. There's no doubt in my mind that he had to remember the circumstance that he found himself in with Jesus after John and Andrew had heard Jesus preach, declaring that he was the Messiah. You remember Andrew, he had to immediately find his brother, and the word says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus was in a little place called Caesarea Philippi. And in that conversation, he was asking the question, whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, the buzz around town is that uh, you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus looked square in his eyes to Peter, and he said, but whom do you say that I am? Peter remembered, I think, speaking those words, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus went on to say, thou art Peter. He said, but upon this rock, talking about himself, he said, I will build my church. And so this rock thing, this stone thing here, to whom coming as unto a living stone, this allowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. By the way, let me say this, that predominantly Catholics believe that Peter is the rock whom Jesus would build the church upon. That's definitely not the case. That's not true. Here in First or First Peter 2, verse 4, Peter declares that's not true. I'm not. I'm not the rock. I'm not the stone. He says, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And so he refers to Jesus as the living stone. 
certainly not taking any credit whatsoever. He's in direct reference to the Lord. Now, the word that the Lord used for Peter is Petros. That word is P-E-T-R-O-S, Petros. And the word Petros means a small stone. When I started looking at this text and my mind carried me back to that encounter with Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, so many things started coming to view here for me, things that I had learned many years ago and things that I had refreshed myself with in this current study. But, but this word Petros, which Jesus used for Peter, it was a small stone, and it, if you could think with me now, it would be like a pebble, or it would be like loose gravel. It would be something that was movable, very easily, easily movable. And so the word Jesus used for rock was different than Petros. Petros, again, means a small stone. But when Jesus said, upon this rock, talking about himself, he used the word Petra. He, he didn't use the word Petrus. It's sort of like when Jesus was talking about the agape love. When he asked Peter the first time, he said, Peter, do you agape me? Peter answered with that Greek word, Yea, Lord, you know I affiliate you. Jesus paused for a few moments because that word, affiliates, meant brotherly love. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you really love me? He said, Lord, you know I affiliate you. You know I have a brotherly love for you. And then Jesus stepped back and he said, Okay, Peter. Do you affiliate me? And the Bible says when Jesus asked that the third time, Peter instantly knew he wasn't talking about a brotherly love. He was talking about an unconditional love. Do you agape me? And that's when he said, yes, Lord, I agape you. So you, this thing about love, two words are very similar, very, very different though. Affiliate and agape. Here, Jesus, Peter's talking about uh, this stone, this lively stone, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to be Petrus. But he said, I'm going to be the Petra. That's entirely different. And that was illustrated as an immovable, massive amount of a stone trying to get Peter to conceive what Jesus was talking about. And so Peter is describing the stone, and he calls it this, a living stone. And when I started looking at that, it blessed me in the study uh, because the life, living stone, the life represents the resurrection and eternal life. When, when he's talking about to whom coming as a living stone, this is talking about his life, his resurrection. But I want you to notice the second part of verse number four. This phrase, disallowed 
indeed. What does disallowed mean? Disallowed. Look at that carefully. That means to reject. So when you're doing a a word study and you're applying this, um, my mind went back to a phrase in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21 and verse number 42. And this is what... This is what makes Wednesday night Bible study so good because I can take my time. We can go deep and we can study a little bit more than we have time to on Sunday mornings. But keep in mind, beside verse number four here in First Peter chapter two, I want to ask you to write Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 42. Keep in mind the context of what we're speaking about. And this is what the scripture says. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so Jesus is talking. He's identifying a couple of things here, but Peter makes it clear that he is not the stone. He is not the rock that Jesus is the living stone. He's not only the living stone, but when he said disallowed indeed of men, that means rejected of men. Jesus is the living stone, and he's living because of his resurrection. Jesus is the living stone who was rejected of men. Now, I want to give you a couple of reasons I want to go through these real quickly. I believe about seven or eight of them, as time will permit. Some of the reasons why they rejected Jesus as the cornerstone, why they rejected him as the Messiah. I think eight reasons we can consolidate in these few moments that we are together tonight. Number one, they rejected him because he was a friend of publicans and sinners. And by the way, This is what separates logic and reason from legalism. Let me tell you this. Some of you may have friends that are not saved. That doesn't make you a heretic. You know what you need to do? If you have a friend that's not saved, you need to let your light so shine that they can see Jesus in you. And you don't have to give them a Sunday school lesson every time you're around them. You don't have to browbeat them with the Bible. You don't have to ridicule them and put them down and say, I would never sit at a table with a sinner. Well, you need to back up with that theology because Jesus did. And so he was rejected because he was a friend of publicans and sinners. Number two. He was rejected because he refused to bow to some of the Sabbaths and the observances that were going on. They they could not get past that. Number three, because he rebuked some of their oral traditions that they were embedded in, refusing uh, to, to move from. They rejected him as the cornerstone because common people gladly received him. 
Number five, they rejected him because of some of the miracles that he performed. He just couldn't, they just couldn't get, get past it. In fact, they accused him of performing some of the miracles by the power of Beelzebub. Number six, they rejected him because they did not want to upset the Roman government. Had they embraced Jesus, you can imagine the hysteria that would have gone throughout the land. Number seven, they rejected him because he exposed their hypocrisy. And number eight, they rejected him because he was not the kind of Messiah that they were looking for. So there were numbers of reasons why uh, these people rejected him. And that's what this word disallowed means in verse number four. He was rejected. These are some of the reasons why they rejected him. And because of some of these things, they rejected him and, and they began to plot his death. But Peter says that the stone was chosen by God. Again, look at verse four. To whom coming as unto a living stone. He says, I'm, I'm Petrus, but I want to tell you about the Petra. He said he is a living stone because he is alive and well. He was resurrected from the dead. He was rejected indeed of men, but then notice what he says, but chosen of God. And so Peter gives us that glorious exhortation. Now look in verse number five, because this thing of stone, stones still continues. He says in verse five, ye as, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So here Peter describes believers as living stones in the body of Christ. And when a person is saved, we, we need to be Christ-like. We need to be imitators of the Lord, who is the living stone. Now look at this thing about the holy priesthood. I spent some time with this as well, and whenever I come across things that just seem to jump out at me, I don't know how it is when you study the Word, but sometimes things just leap off of the pages, and the Holy Spirit would direct me to look at it, study it, cross-reference it a little bit deeper than other passages. But in the Old Testament, I don't know if you're familiar with this, and and uh, if you have had any previous study in it, but the entrance into the, the priesthood was controlled by the Mosaic uh, Levitical Code, so to speak. And, and that's, that was really important here. In other words, here's, here's what I want. If you don't know this, learn, learn something about the Old Testament tonight. Learn something about the priesthood tonight because the priesthood was strictly restricted to the tribe of Levi. I mean, there was no budging with that, strictly restricted to the tribe of Levi. And it was particularly restricted to the family of Aaron. This is important. Unless you were of the tribe of Levi and particularly associated with the family of Aaron, no one else could join 
the priesthood. That's that. This is something you need to know. I know it's deep, and we're off uh, in some Old Testament stuff here, but but you need to know this. This is good background for you. So when Jesus died on the cross, you know the story. Uh, he rent the temple veil, making the Old Testament rituals, Judaism, obsolete. Now, since the cross, we have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, if you are not familiar with Melchizedek, this is an interesting person. I can remember when I was studying in the ministry, studying to prepare to go into the ministry. This was one of our classes, topics, and subject. I want you to think about this because Melchizedek, the scripture says this, that he had no father, he had no mother. You, you do, I'll, I'll let you study that. That's what the word says. But in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse number 17, the word says this, For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here is the thing. As a born-again Christian, as a born-again child of God, you and I have become part of the royal priesthood. Keeping in mind, no one in the Old Testament could join the the priesthood, unless they were of the tribe of Levi, particularly of the lineage of Aaron. Now, every Christian offers spiritual sacrifices and praises, which was confined to the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament. Our ministry is simply an extension of the Lord's ministry. And Peter says this in verse number five, that it is acceptable, look at this, ye are, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, look at this, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice. Now again, in the Old Testament, the ordinary person couldn't do that. Only the tribe of Levi, those who were priests, to offer up spiritual sacrifices and look at this. It's acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so as all of us, as born-again believers in the Lord, we can come where only a handful of Old Testament priests were ever allowed to come. Now you think through that. We, because we are part of the royal priesthood as lively stones, a holy priesthood, you and I, we can go directly into the holy of holies and stand before the mercy seat of God. We can do that. In the Old Testament, that was not allowed. Jesus on the cross made the difference. In fact, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at that for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19 
through 23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that allows us to go before the mercy seat, the holy of holies in heaven. Keeping in mind, in the Old Testament, that wasn't allowed by everybody, only the tribe of Levi. But now notice this. By a new and living way, not by the rituals of the Old Testament, a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that, that promised. Now in Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 2, verse number 6, let's look at the scripture. Because this, by the way, is a reference to Isaiah chapter 28 and verse number 16. But verse number 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture... Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. See, we're still in the stone thing, and that's what Peter is making great emphasis with. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Peter is saying, I am not that stone. I am Petrus. I'm a little stone. I can be moved. I can be shaken. I can be displaced, but not the rock, not the Petra. And Peter's making a great point with this. But if you will write in the margin of your Bible by verse number 6 here, this is what the Scripture says, Isaiah 28, verse number 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And so when you read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, that is a quote from Isaiah 28, verse number 16. Peter was quoting this. When Peter wrote it, it was a spiritual, it was a political, terrible, dark day. The northern kingdom of Israel was on the verge of being swept away by the Assyrians. There was great conflict. God was bringing judgment on the people because of their idolatries, because of their apostasies, because of their moral decay. They had grossly erred from the faith, grossly erred from the way. One of the heartbreaking things about that period of time is that the people by large had for, even forgot about the words of the Lord. That's how far they drifted away. So in some cases, these people were biblically illiterate. And I want you to think about how dark of a day that is. That's why I said in the beginning, those of us who have tasted to see the Lord's goodness, once we have tasted his goodness, it's hard to imagine that people could walk away from that. But that's exactly what was happening in the day. And as a result... These people would become exiles in foreign lands and they would be exposed to many strange philosophies and strange religions and so forth. And so in the midst of all of this, 
looking back at this prophecy, Isaiah, he introduces Christ as the foundation stone. And then perhaps when Isaiah wrote this passage, maybe he, because see, Peter, I believe, Peter is remembering the words of Isaiah. But maybe, just maybe, Isaiah was remembering the words of Moses. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 49, verse number 24, the scripture says, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So when Peter's talking about the living stone, he makes a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. But Isaiah, I believe, is referencing the words of Moses. And it all fits like a puzzle. It all comes together. These, these men, they were in touch with God. They believed it. They believed the Messiah was coming. And so Isaiah's prophecy about the stone was clearly messianic. And Jesus left no doubt when he was in Caesarea of Philippi talking to Peter. He said, I'm the stone. I'm the rock. He said, I will build the church. It will be built upon me. We have just a few minutes, and I want to get in verse number 7. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 7, look at this. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, and we do. I, I don't know if I have ever wrote more than a dozen letters to you, whether in our advanced prayer and praise, whatever it be, that I do not say greetings in the precious name of Jesus. Now, I believe he is precious. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient. Again, he's talking about the stone. Look at this. The stone which the builders disallowed or the stone that the builders rejected, the same is made the head of the corner. Look at this. Unto you, therefore, which believe he's precious. I'm sure every one of you in here tonight, those of you that have taken the time to watch this Bible study by internet, there's probably not one person listening to me tonight that does not believe that he is precious. All of us believe that. But notice the next part in verse number seven. But unto them which, dis, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected, the same is made the head of the corner. And so, by the way, that is a quotation from three passages, and I want to give them to you one more time. So we'll wrap up the study tonight with this, because that's a quotation from three scriptures. Number one, Psalms 118, verse number 22. So beside verse 7 here, write these three references down. Psalms 118, verse 22 in the Bible says, The stone which the builders refused or rejected or disallowed, as Peter uses the word, is become the head stone of the corner. The second one 
is Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 8, verse number 14. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense. To the house, notice that, offense to both the houses of Israel. And, and this word jinn here, this is a strange word. Now, we don't use that word a lot, and there are probably maybe not three people in here that know the meaning of this. Let me give it to you real quick before we leave. But let me finish the verse. And these are for jinn and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this, this word jinn, this, that's, that means it's like a snare or a net to catch birds with. That's, that's the implication of this word jinn. And so, when you, when you understand that and you look at the scripture, both the houses of Israel for a net or to, to catch a prey and for snares, what the word says, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The third scripture I give you tonight real quickly to write it beside this is in Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 42 uh, through verse number 44. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 43, the Bible says this, Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And verse number 44, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Jesus was basically saying, whosoever does not believe in me, you are going to suffer grievous consequences. Well, that's a lot to see in this word tonight. Amen. The stone that the builders rejected. Let's stop here. We'll get back next Wednesday night, Lord willing. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.